0: Hi, my name is Scott and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe the church is not an event, but a family you belong to. So we would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, www.restoredtemecula.church and click on contact. We also have a mobile app with resources including our Sunday messages, information
1: about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on the Apple or Android app stores. With all that said, we hope you enjoyed the message.
0: I love you guys. I am so pumped to be with you guys this morning. I haven't preached in like two or three weeks, so I've missed you. Uh, I've been here, obviously, but I've missed the pulpit and missed being able to open up God's Word and enjoy it together. So this morning we're going to jump back into our series going through the Gospel of Matthew. We've entitled this series, The King and His Kingdom. And what we've been doing is we've been exploring uh, the realities of the kingdom of God, otherwise known as the kingdom of heaven. Those, Those phrases are used synonymously. Let me start my timer here. And one of the ways that we've kind of set up this series is with the idea that, for whatever reason, kind of modern Western people, I would even argue a lot of modern Western Christians think of the kingdom of God, think of the kingdom of heaven as something kind of out there, something that you go to after, di- after you die. And that's, that's part of it, absolutely. But it's so much more than that. Uh, a, qu- a really helpful quote that we've put in front of you every single Sunday we've been going through this series, D.A. Carson said this. He talked about the kingdom of God, and he said, It's more a reign than it is a realm. It's more a power than it is a place. And it's this idea of what the Bible teaches about the kingdom of God, that it's actually it's a reality that we can experience right now, partly in the present and fully in the future, fully in the future. When Jesus comes to restore all things, to make everything the way that he intended for it to be, Uh, we're going to go deep this morning. Okay, I'm looking around and I'm already kind of feeling like God's giving me some uh, some really cool insights on what he wants to do this morning. But I want you to just consider for a moment, I want you to consider in your life things that are not the way they're supposed to be. And let's primarily just start with like things that have been done to you, things where you've experienced like this is not right. One of the things that's so beautiful about the kingdom of God is that it's the reality of his heart is to come and make things the way they're supposed to be. He can identify with us in those spaces of feeling that like unsettled, uneasy, I'm hurt, I'm afraid, I'm anxious, all these things that we experience because of the brokenness around us. He's not this like passive God who's not engaged with those things. No, no, no. He's actively pursuing renewal, making all things new. Now, uh, where we're at in the Gospel of Matthew is we've come to the, uh, a point in the Gospel of Matthew known as the Sermon on the Mount, just kind of put this in front of you again, review the greatest sermon of all time, right? And this Sermon on the Mount is all about the kingdom of God. It's all about the kingdom of heaven. And one of the things that makes this sermon so spectacular is that the wisdom and the truth contained in the Sermon on the Mount is arguably the most revolutionary teaching in the history of the world. It's, 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 it's transcended all kind of people groups for thousands of years. I mean, even secular minds go, the teaching of Jesus of Nazareth is unlike any other teaching period. Jesus says things that are just like different than any other religion, than any other philosophy. The most, arguably, the most revolutionary teaching in the history of the world. And Jesus decides, God in the flesh decides to start this, this famous sermon of what are known as the Beatitudes. A little bit of review, right? These, these list of eight kingdom blessings. They all start with, Blessed are the. And he fills in the blank, right? And each of these beatitudes, each of these eight kingdom blessings, they are, man, they're really shocking. Like at first glance, they don't seem to make sense. And that's because the kingdom of God is so different than the kingdom that we often find ourselves in, which is either our kingdom or the kingdom of somebody else that we don't want to be a part of. But here's the thing. Like one of the things that the Bible makes really clear is that you and I, We were created for the kingdom of God. We were created for the kingdom of heaven. When I say kingdom of God, I'm talking about God's rule, his reign, his ways. We were created for that in the same way that a fish was created for water. So all that being said, we're gonna jump into the fourth beatitude that's halfway through today in Matthew chapter five. So you can go, if you have your your Bibles, you can go ahead and, and flip there. I'll be in the Christian standard Bible translation this morning. If you don't have your Bible, Everett, our man serving us, is going to throw it up on the screen for you. But before we jump into God's word, I want to pray. So will you pray with me? Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we invite you to teach us. We invite you to pierce the dreariness this morning. We invite you to open our eyes spiritually, open our hearts and our ears spiritually. We want to hear from you. We want to receive from you. And God, I pray that you would use me in whatever way you see fit this morning. I want, to, I want to honor these precious men and women. I don't want to do anything that gets in the way of what you're up to. You're clearly moving. I can feel it. And so I pray that each of us, I pray just against distractions this morning. I pray that we would actually be able to open our hearts and minds to what you have for us. And we'd receive this morning. That's my biggest prayer from you directly. God, we love you. Jesus, you're so amazing. There's nobody like you. Bless us. We look to you now. Teach us, Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Okay. Matthew chapter five, starting in verse one. I'm going to start reading. You can follow along. Chapter five, verse one. When he, the he there is Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, here goes the Sermon on the Mount, right? Here come the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. That was week one, if you remember. Verse four, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. And then here's today's, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Okay, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to I kind of do two things, all right? The first thing I want to accomplish is I want to answer this question, like, what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? What does that mean? Not just conceptually, but what does it mean for you? And then the second thing, what does this beatitude teach us about the kingdom of God? That's what we're doing, okay? Let's jump in. What does this mean? The hunger and thirst for righteousness. Okay, so uh, participate with me. When you think of hunger, when you hear the word hunger, what do you think of? Food. food? Okay, let's learn something about each other, right? What kind of food do you think about? Sushi. What was it? Canes. canes. Okay, raising canes. Sushi. You said canes because Chick-fil-A is closed. I said canes because it's oh. oh, guys, this is how church splits happen, okay? Canes, sushi, what else? Dude, you, come on, give it to me. In and out, In and out. good choice. Ice cream, ice cream, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, uh, our Chick Fil A is closed, and it's uh, it's affecting me. It's affecting me. Okay, when you think of thirst, what do you think of? Water, good choice. Anything else? Coffee, yes. That's about 99% of what I consume from a beverage standpoint is coffee coffee and water. Diet Coke. Okay, yeah. Sweet. (laughs) I heard sweet tea and hard seltzer. These are free people, I can tell you that much. There we go. Sparkling water. Spin drift. Yes, absolutely. Okay, here's the thing. Food and Drink. What happens if you don't eat food or drink water? You die. Absolutely. Hunger and thirst. Hunger and thirst, they represent something. They represent your deepest cravings, okay? Because your life depends on it. I want you to keep something in mind. Keep something in mind. The people that Jesus is talking to here, Jesus is speaking to ancient people whose life experience was very different than yours and mine, okay? You see, the the truth is practically, I would argue most, if not everybody in this room, we know nothing about what it is to be truly hungry or thirsty. You see, in the ancient world, it was very, very different, okay? I wanna read you a quote from a theologian. He says this, quote, A working man's wage was one denarius. So that was like what you'd get paid for an entire day's work was one denarius, okay? Not a wage on which anyone ever got fat. A working man in Palestine ate meat, get this, once a week at best. And in Palestine, the working man and the day laborer were never far from the borderline of real hunger and actual starvation, It was still more so in the case of thirst. It was not possible for the vast majority of people to turn a tap and find the clear, cold water pouring into their house. Hear me Jesus' audience had a very different relationship to food and water than you and I do. It wasn't exactly easy to come by for them, it was costly, it was hard to get. For us, it is easy. Let's just be real. We have so many blessings living in the West, living where we live, so much, so much that we take for granted. We have grocery stores, like more than one, <laughs> right? Restaurants, drive-thrus, you name it. Do this for me. Just take a moment, you and your household, take a moment and count. How many different knobs in your house can you turn and have clean drinking water come pouring out? How many? Just think about it right now. Anybody more than one? Yeah, the entire room, okay? Very different experience, right? The people for whom Jesus is speaking to when he's giving this sermon and he's saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, man, they had a very different relationship to food and water than we do. So hear me. Jesus is using this analogy of hunger and thirst it's not a mistake. It's not a coincidence. He's using it intentionally. Why? Because hunger and thirst represent the deepest cravings, the deepest desires that a person has. Are you with me? Okay. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let's talk about righteousness for a second. What is righteousness? We've talked about this a little bit before. Righteousness is basically Rightness or or goodness, okay? And here's the thing about righteousness is it's very closely tied to holiness. So you hear things all throughout the Bible, all through Christian history, God is holy, right? The angels that have been singing over him in heaven forever, they haven't moved past holy, 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 this is the Lord God Almighty. Righteousness, rightness, goodness, it's very, very closely associated with holiness. Why? Because to to be right, to be good, to be righteous within a sinful, fallen environment, the earth, right, is to be distinct. If the environment that you're in is fallen and imperfect and unholy, ungodly, not good, right, and God is perfectly righteous, he's perfectly good, then he's distinct, he's set apart, he's holy. That's what holy means, So when we say God is holy, that's what we're talking about. We're saying God is distinct because he's perfectly good. He's perfectly righteous. There's nobody like you. That's what holy means. When you sing, God, you're holy, that's what you're saying. There's nobody like you. You're perfectly righteous. You're perfectly good. Question, what's the opposite of righteousness? Talk to me, baby. Come on. The opposite of righteousness is wickedness according to the Bible. It's wickedness. Here's a definition of wickedness for you from somebody way smarter than me. Wickedness, a disregard for righteousness. That makes sense. A disregard for justice, truth, honor, and virtue. Evil in thought and life. So it's mind and behavior. Depravity and sinfulness. Okay. Okay. I want to do something kind of fun. I, I need a volunteer. But before you raise your hand, I won't let anything bad happen to you, but you have to operate on the honor code. I'm gonna ask you to do something and you cannot cheat. And I don't wanna to have to call on you. So I need a, I need a, you wanna do it? Oh. We got a nomination, Rach, I'm sorry. We got a nomination. Are you down? All right, Harrison, ladies and gentlemen. Harrison Boyd, give him, give him a round of applause. Okay. Here's, the, here, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm secretly hating that this happened because I think Harrison's one of the few people in the room that I think could actually do this. Okay, so here's what we're gonna do you have to close your eyes. Like, you can't open them. You gotta stand right here. Okay. No, don't take his glasses. Oh, actually, yes. Here. We'll, we'll take the glasses, we'll set them On this table right here, so that you know where they are. Hopefully, I don't feed back. Okay, now here's what we're gonna do I'm gonna spin you around. Okay? Eyes closed the whole time. Got it. Okay, here we go. Spin. Keep going. Quicker, quicker. Okay, now we're gonna go this way. This a bad time to tell you to get really bad motions. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Okay, stop. Okay. Can you point north? Let me help you out. South is to your like 4 p.m., your 4 o'clock. Okay, open your eyes. Great job. You can have a seat. okay, did you catch what happened? Eyes closed, he's disoriented. I asked him to point north, and what did he do? He started processing, going, okay, wait, I gotta gotta get my bearings. And then I said, south is, and I gave him direction for where south is, and did you see what he did? He went, okay. He instantly knew something. Did you catch it? He instantly knew that south was the opposite direction of north. And so what did that enable him to do? It enabled him to orient himself. Did you catch it? Very simple, right? Here's the thing, friends. Knowing which way is north, it helps orient you because north is the opposite way of south. Hear me. Knowing which way is righteous does the same thing because wickedness is in the opposite direction. It's the opposite of righteousness. It's like understanding north from south. Hear me. It will help orient you in your life. Because here's, here's something that's really important for you to know. Without proper orientation, a person is what? They're disoriented. They're lost. They don't know north from south. And maybe even more tragic, they don't know righteous from wicked. Wicked. Listen to me. This is happening all around you. Just take a look around. Society is full of people who are disoriented. Bad things defined as good things. Good things defined as bad things. Listen to me. Living a disoriented life It's equivalent to you living a deceived life. Good is bad, bad is good. North is south, south is north. It means walking south when you think you're walking north. And here's the thing. It doesn't just happen like out there in the world. It actually happens in here. It happens with me. It happens with you. It happens with each of us. I'm talking about sin, everyone's favorite subject. I'm so glad I get to preach this this morning. Question for you, why do we sin? We sin because we choose to. And more than that, listen to me, more than that, we sin because we want to. We desire it because of our hunger and our thirst for it. It's a desire. We think it's north. (laughs) We think it's pleasing. We think it's going to end up giving us what we really desire. And it's not. It's deceived. It's disoriented living. Check this out. Galatians chapter 5, uh, verses 16 through 21. Here comes the heavy stuff, so get ready, okay? This is uh, the Apostle Paul writing to a bunch of Christians in Galatia. He says this. Tell me if any of this sounds familiar to what we're talking about, okay? He says this, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. We sin because we desire it. We sin because we want to. We hunger and thirst for it. Verse 17, For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. North is south, south is north. Listen to what it says. These are opposed to each other. They're opposites, right? Like we just got done talking about. So that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then check this out in verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. He's going to start giving examples here. He's going to give examples of the opposite of righteousness, the opposite of goodness, wickedness, right? Things that are the opposite of righteousness. And this is what he says. Here's the list. Sexual immorality... Moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry. Everybody know what idolatry is? I love Tim Keller's definition. It's really short and helpful. This is what he says. Idolatry is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. That's idolatry. Okay, the list continues. The works of the flesh are the wicked the examples of wickedness are sorcery. Hatreds. Hatreds is basically just having ill will towards someone. Strife. Strife is unresolved conflict. Jealousy. Outbursts of anger. (sighs) Any parents in the room? Like no joke. I like I had an outburst in anger during my Sabbath with my family yesterday. Not proud, but I'm confessing it to you. I need Jesus so bad. Selfish ambitions, dissensions. Dissensions is basically lacking unity. Factions. Anybody know what a faction is? Faction is when you withdraw from people not like you. (laughs) So basically the United States of America. United, It's funny. Uh, verse 21, envy. Now, did you catch, he already, he already mentioned jealousy. I think it's important to kind of dis- draw a distinction between those two, right? Envy and jealousy. Uh, envy is different than jealousy. Jealousy is a greedy longing for something that someone else has. Okay, so envy, on the other hand, is resenting someone for what they have. So whether it's success, or possessions, or relationship. He continues, drunkenness, carousing. I gotta be honest, I didn't know what carousing was until I started studying this passage. Check it out. In the Greek, what carousing means is it means an occasion to overeat or overdrink. Okay, and then he goes, and anything similar. I am, listen to what Paul says. Good catch, by the way. Listen to what Paul says. I'm warning you about these things. As I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit what? The kingdom of God. Any examples, or any of those examples of wickedness show up in your life? Me neither. Let's pray. Friends, we sin because we want to. Because of our desire. Because there's a hunger inside of us. And hear me, if we're honest, the truth is, oftentimes, we hunger and we thirst for wickedness. And Jesus says something here. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now listen, to that hunger, deep desire, right? Craving, deepest craving. To deeply desire, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, it implies some things. It implies, one, that you lack it. You don't hunger and thirst for things you already have, right? Right? So it implies that you lack righteousness, you lack goodness, you lack rightness. It also implies that you desperately need it. And it also implies that you have a disdain for the alternative, a disdain for the opposite, in this case, wickedness. I don't want that, I want this. You with me? Now we're going to geek out just a second. There's something really beautiful in this beatitude that shows up fairly obviously in the original Greek, but it doesn't, always, it doesn't fully make its way into the English translation. Check this out. Uh, one theologian says this, quote, in this beatitude, most unusually righteousness is in the direct accusative. This will make sense in a second. And not in the normal genitive Now, in verbs of hungering and thirsting in Greek, take the accusative instead of the genitive. The meaning is that the hunger and the thirst are for the whole thing. To say I hunger for bread in the accusative means I want the whole loaf. To say I thirst for water in the accusative means I want the whole pitcher. There, the correct translation is, excuse me, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the whole of righteousness, for complete righteousness, end quote. Does this make sense? So in other words, this does not say, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for some righteousness. That's not what it's saying. That's not the words that Jesus is using. Here's the problem with this, friends. The problem with this is that far too many of us Western, modern Christians we're content with some righteousness. We're cool with that. It makes us feel kind of comfortable and like decent. You remember that list we just went through? of Wickedness in Galatians chapter five. It's sort of like yeah, man, I might do one or two things on that list, but most of it doesn't describe me. Sure, I, I overdrink or I overeat every now and then, but I don't practice sorcery. I'm good. Sure, I might withdraw from people who are different than me, but I'm not promiscuous or vice versa, depending on the city you live in. I might not be generous with my money, but I'm generous with my time. Or vice versa, depending on your situation. For some reason, we've become okay with partial goodness. This beatitude says it's not enough to be satisfied with partial goodness. Why? Because partial goodness is just another flavor of wickedness. You have any idea how convicting it was for me this week to prep this message? My life is filled with partial goodness. I'm a pastor who yells at his kids on his Sabbath. Friends, do you see what Jesus is saying here? It's intense, man. This beatitude is essentially posing a question and a challenge. And it's this How much do you desire goodness and righteousness? Do you want it as much as someone starving wants food, or someone dying of thirst wants water? Or. Are you content with wickedness? Pick your flavor. Okay, pastorally. Because I love you and because I've I have genuinely gone before you and seek searching my heart before the Lord. I'm not better than anybody in the room. I'm probably worse than most of you. Listen to me. What do you desire? What do you desire? do you even know? Like, are you even aware of it? Or are you living a disoriented life? North is south. This feels good. <laughs> if you were like an onion, you know how the onion has all those layers? If you're the onion, right, and you peel back all the layers... What's at the core? Your desire. What's driving you? What do you hunger and thirst for? It's a great analogy, actually, just hit me. Whenever you break open the onion, it makes you cry, you know? <laughs> it's so true, man, wow. What do you desire? Friends, this beatitude says that the person who is fed up with wickedness the person that isn't content with partial goodness, the person whose chief desire is a complete righteousness, that that person is blessed. And remember what blessed means? We talked about transcendently happy, a happiness that is not determined by your circumstances. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Okay, my final point this morning. What does this beatitude teach us about the kingdom of God? That's what we're exploring. What, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the rule and reign of Jesus, his way. Not my way, his way. Not your way, his way. What does this beatitude teach us about the kingdom of God? The first thing is this. In the kingdom of God, a person's desires matter as much as their deeds. If you're taking notes, write that one down. It's really important. A person's desires matter as much as their deeds. Okay? Because here's the thing. Desires aren't as obvious as deeds, right? I'm doing stuff. You can see me. It's drawing attention. You have no idea what's happening in my heart. You don't know what my desires are. You know what's happening there, right? The analogy that I use all the time, you guys have heard me say this a bunch of times, but there's new faces, so I want to throw it out there. I think it's helpful to illustrate this. Okay. Let's imagine right after this gathering, okay? We're all hungry. We want food. You and I go out to lunch. Let I me mean, go out to lunch and I pick up the bill. I buy you lunch. That's my deed, right? On the, on the outside, on the surface, that sounds really good. Righteous even. But what if the desire of my heart is to get you to like me more? If the desire of my heart is to get you to like me more, I didn't serve you. I served me. I, I didn't serve you. I used you. I used you for approval. My deed seems good and righteous, but my desire is actually wicked. Do you see this? In the kingdom of God, friends, a person's desires matter as much as their deeds. The things they hunger for matter as much as the things they do. You with me? I don't, I'm, coming, I'm kind of a little passionate about this because it's wrecked my life for too many years. <laughs> and I don't want it to wreck yours. I don't want you to live disoriented. This means good deeds with bad motives can actually be wicked. But it also means, get this, this is beautiful. It also means that good, like pure motives, even if they yield imperfect results, can actually be pleasing to God. You tracking with me? Let me give you an example of this in the scriptures. Everybody's familiar with King David, arguably the most famous Israelite king, right? King David, he had this genuine desire to build God's temple, like a, a permanent dwelling place for the presence of God among his people. Awesome, right? A place where God would dwell with his people. Now, for those of you guys that know the story, you know David doesn't actually end up building the temple, right? Who does? Yeah, his son Solomon. King Solomon, David's son, ends up building a temple. Look what Solomon writes in 1 Kings chapter 18. I'm going to read uh, verses 17 through 19. Check this out. My father David had his heart set on building a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, listen to this, since your heart was set on building a temple for my name, you have done well to have this desire. Yet you are not the one to build it. Instead, your son, your own offspring, will build it for my name. You see what's happening here? Even though David didn't actually build the temple, God said he had done well. Why? Because in the kingdom of God, a person's desires matter as much as their deeds. My friend, what do you desire? What do you hunger and thirst for? Gosh, man, the truth is, I'll just speak for myself. I don't even know most of the time. Thank God for my wife. I'll be like, babe, what's happening inside of me? And she's like, well, you're this, this, and this. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. Listen to me. Tangent. You've got to be known, friends. You've got to have close, you got to have trusted people in your life that can go, hey, I see things that you don't see and it's dangerous for you. Why? Because your desires matter as much as your deeds do in the kingdom of God. Listen, if we're not aware, I'll go as far as this: says, if we're not fully aware of what's going on in us internally from a desire standpoint, listen, that's an incredibly dangerous place for a person to be. Because the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, a person's desires matter as much as their deeds. All right, one more thing that we learn about the kingdom of God here. And it's this, the kingdom of God isn't for the achiever, it's for the receiver. Let me read you another quote from someone smarter than me. It says this, not only is this the most demanding beatitude, the reason he says it's the most demanding beatitude is because it talks about, like, it literally says that your desires matter as much as your deeds. So it's really demanding. Not only is this the most demanding beatitude, in its own way, it is also the most comforting. At the back of it, there is the meaning that those who are blessed are not necessarily the people who achieve this goodness but the people who long for it with their whole heart. If blessedness came only to those who achieved, get this, then no one would be blessed. Why? Because no one's perfect. No one does achieving well. But blessedness comes to all who, in spite of failures and failings, still clutch themselves to the passionate love of the highest. I love that because it gives people like me hope. The kingdom of God is for those who desire it. The kingdom of God isn't for the achiever, it's for the receiver. It isn't for the self righteous or the partially good. Listen to me, it's for those who know they lack goodness, and yet they hunger for it. Jesus says it's those people, they will be filled. The kingdom of God isn't for the achiever, it's for the receiver. Do you know what that means? This is the best part about Christianity. It means it's a gift of grace. It's a gift of grace. Guys, this this utterly transformed my life. Receiving the perfect righteousness of Jesus, it changed everything about my life. As someone who has spent so many years of my life trying to impress people, trying to gain their approval, trying to like, make a name for myself, trying to secure an identity, trying to prove myself, I'm right, I'm good, I'm righteous, I'm good, I'm, I'm worthy of love, I'm worthy of acceptance, I'm worthy of approval, I'm, I'm righteous, like I'm just this self-made righteousness. And then somebody told me about Jesus, the only righteous one, the only perfect one, the only fully complete good one who said, hey, you, you haven't done it. You've already, you've already failed, Tom. Let me do it for you. And let me offer it to you freely as a gift. He died to, to cleanse me of my sins, but you know what else he did? He lived perfectly in my place to give me a righteousness that I could never acquire on my own. That's the gospel of Jesus. It's the good news. And it's available to anybody who hungers and thirsts for it. You with me? That's why the metaphors of the table are so strong. The body and the blood of Jesus, that's what we gather around. Why? To feast on it. Because we hunger and thirst. There's never been a better offer in the history of the world. God Himself offering you and I perfect rightness, perfect goodness. He gets crucified. <laughs> he gets betrayed. He gets rejected. We get His record. All right, I'm going to close with this. I'll call the band up. If you guys want a couple and join me. We're I don't know five more minutes. are you guys still with me? Okay. There's one more thing I want to share with you that wrecked me this week as I was preparing for this. Um, that I hope I hope it blesses you. So I'm going to ask you the question I've been asking you all morning: What do you desire? What do you desire? What do you hunger and thirst for? Maybe it's comfort guaranteed a percentage of the room, it's comfort, right? You just want to live a comfortable life. The last two years have been anything but comfortable. So I'm going to do whatever I can to secure some comfort for myself. I just want to live a comfortable life. Maybe that's your chief desire in this season of your life. For others, maybe it's control. Like if you aren't in control, it stresses you out, man. Maybe it's approval. Maybe you need certain people to like you. You know who they are. Maybe you need certain people to like you, to think highly of you. Can I tell you from experience? That is exhausting. Good Lord, is that exhausting? Because you always have to be like on. It's like a 24-7 performance. And if Dorian thinks less of me, I, I gotta, how do I hack Dorian to get him to think that I'm exhausting? What is it for you, friend? What do you desire? If you peel back the layers of the onion, be honest with yourself. Here's what blew my mind. There are two places in Matthew. There are two places in Matthew's gospel, chapter 9 and chapter 12, where Jesus references what God desires, what God hungers and thirsts for. And each time Jesus references what God desires, what he does is he quotes the prophet Hosea from the Old Testament. And specifically, he quotes Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. Here's what it says God speaking through Hosea for I God desire faithful love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings do you realize what God's saying here God doesn't want your penance I'm gonna say that again God doesn't want your penance. He wants you. He wants every part of you. God desires to know you and be known by you. Vinny preached about this a few weeks ago. God desires to know you and be known by you. In other words... God hungers and thirsts, not just for a portion of you, not just for some, not just for a percentage of you, but for all of you, for the whole loaf, for everything that you are, friend. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. He designed you with intentionality. He loves you. His desire, his hunger and his thirst is to have all of you and for you to have all of him. Do you see it? Listen to me. When you see it, when you see the lengths that God has gone to to demonstrate his desire for you, not just for the people sitting around you, for you, that he willingly suffered and died in like the most brutal brutal and painful ways. When you see it, it will produce a desire in you that is on par with a starving man's desire for food or a man dying of thirst's desire for just a drink. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for he will fill them. Let me pray for us. Spirit of God, we just wait in the silence for a moment. We allow you to speak to us. You for showing us truth. Thank you for shepherding us, for fathering us. Shepherd, father, friend. Man, so beautiful. God, you're so beautiful. You're so lovely. You're so kind and faithful. I praise you, Jesus. Thank you for showing us the areas where we have grown content with partial goodness. We were created for way more than partial goodness. We were created for your kingdom, a complete, full righteousness. And I look around this room, and I just see so many men and women walking in beautiful ways, in the best way, like reeking of Jesus in your spirit. And I want more. And I know that you infinitely want more. I pray for those who are men who think they're walking north when they're actually walking south. Help us be a repentant people. That's what Christianity is. It's practicing repentance. It's practicing becoming aware. Oh, man, I'm walking south. I'm not going to do that anymore. I wasn't created to do that. I was created to walk north. I was created to walk towards you. Help us to repent. Help us to turn around. And I pray, Father, that your desire for us would transform our desires. It would literally change what we want. Because the kingdom of God is it's not for the achiever. It's for the receiver. It's for those of us that know we lack goodness and yet we hunger for it. And Jesus, you make yourself available to us every single time. So I pray for every single person in the room myself included, that we would, be, we would be experts at receiving your forgiveness and your grace, Jesus. Every day, receivers of forgiveness and grace and mercy, faithful love. I pray that we'd be people who embrace your rule and reign in our lives, Jesus. You're the king. God, I pray that we would experience the promise that you're making here promise of transcendent happiness, living in your kingdom, partially in the present, fully in the future. Help us to taste and see. I pray for anybody in the room who hasn't yet fully embraced your lordship in their life, Jesus, that today they take you up on your offer and the rest of their life would be utterly transformed, and it would be glorious, and it would be beautiful, and your kingdom would come, and your will would be done in spectacular ways. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Let us enjoy it this morning. Let us hunger and thirst for your righteousness. Amen. All right, friends, I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able. Oh, we're going to spend the remainder of our gathering. We have, we have some time this morning, 15, 20 minutes. And this is a chance. This is the, the highlight. This is the climax of our morning. This is when we get to respond as individuals, respond collectively as a body to God's goodness and grace and love. We're going to do it through several ways. Um, there is, uh, gonna, the band's going to lead us. And then if you're on the prayer team this morning, would you maybe make yourself to the back of the room and make yourself available? Uh, there's trusted men and women back there. They have like lanyards that say prayer to They're just there for you. If you need prayer for anything, please receive it. I feel like God wants to meet with many of us in a personal way. I think he already has, but I think he wants to complete some of the work that he's doing even this morning, okay? So we're gonna praise him together because he's worthy. We're gonna respond to his goodness and mercy and grace together, and we're gonna receive it. That's what we're gonna do. And then Eric will come up and close us, pastor us, Okay. I love you guys very much.
1: Enjoy him. Thank you. Father, thank you. Thank you that you, you desire to restore us, not partially, but fully. That your desires for us, like we're, they're way bigger and better than what we even desire for ourselves and for our lives. And I thank you that you, you want to make us whole people. People who are increasingly becoming who you made us to be. In the Messiah, in Jesus, as he puts us back together. Thank you for that. We are grateful. We love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. I'm going to close this out. So this morning we talked about a few things, but one of the things that I think most uh, resonated with me personally was that God wants every part of me. God wants every part of you. And he made us. One of the things that just struck me this morning is that he wants to put us back together. He wants us to become who we were made to be in ever-increasing ways, kingdom, sons and daughters. We talked about how the church is a family, sons and daughters who know who their dad is, who know that they belong, who are known, and who know others. He wants every part of you not to shame you, to liberate you from shame, Um, not to throw things in your face, but actually to cleanse you, to wash you, to set you free from things that would keep you enslaved in bondage from idols. That's what he wants to do. He wants every part of you for you. to to make you who you are so how do we respond I think that's a big question this morning and Tom talked about it but I think one of the things that we have to learn to do together as a community is we have to learn how to open ourselves up to him so he can love us into wholeness and that inevitably means that we have to learn how to open ourselves up to other people because we can't even know ourselves we can't. We don't know. We're deceived a lot of the time. Like, we think we're actually something that we're not. But when we're around other people, the truth comes out. And they see it more clearly than we even do for ourselves. So we have to be open to God and open to others. And the beautiful news of the gospel is that it's safe to be open. For people who are learning what it looks like to follow Jesus together, it is safe. There's no judgment, there's no condemnation, there's no control. It's so really like let's walk together into the wholeness that God offers us to become his people. So for you this morning, uh, some of you, you probably need to go get prayer. How do we respond to this? There's, there's trusted men and women in the back who would love to pray for you. You might need prayer because something really struck a chord, struck a nerve with you this morning. For those of us, uh, maybe God's been putting somebody on your heart, your mind this morning, somebody in this room, maybe somebody outside of this room. You might need to go pray for someone this morning. There might be others of us who are just literally hungry and we need to go get lunch. And that's fine. So what is it for you? Like, what is it that you need this morning? I want to encourage you to go get it because it's for you. It is oh, 11.40. Oh, my gosh. So much time. You don't need to grab your kids until noon. So you have 20 minutes to figure out what's next. So I just want to encourage you. Take this time. Go have that conversation if you need to have that conversation. Go get prayer if you need to go get prayer. Go talk to someone if you need to talk to them. Go pray for someone if you need to do that. Go, go home and eat if you need to do that too. That's totally fine. We love you, church. Let me pray. We'll close it out. Just remember to go grab your kids at noon. Father, thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you that the hunger and the thirsting for righteousness, our hunger, our longings will be satisfied in Jesus. Every day, a little bit more, a little bit more, as we follow him, as we learn how good he is. He's the bread of life who satisfies us. But one day, we're going to meet him face to face, and heaven is coming to earth, and it'll all be the way that it was meant to be. And our longing for, and our hungering for, for righteousness will cease, and it will no longer be a longing. It'll be our reality. And I thank you for that. I pray that you would guide us and that we would walk with you in this life on our way with that as our true north. God, we love you and we thank you that in Jesus, this is all possible. His life, his death, his resurrection makes us new people. Would you help us to walk with him today, together as your people, as your family? We love you. Amen. All right, guys, enjoy your Sunday. Soft close. 20 minutes. Enjoy.